0: Tried to quit sinning. (laughs) How did it it work out for you? How did it go? It's a very, very difficult thing to do, is to try to put sin out. And in fact, mankind has had very little success in that, from Adam and Eve on down until today, and into the near future, where mankind has been basically lost in sin. Satan has been in charge as the prince of the power of the air and the present ruler of this world. That's why we are told that our, our battle is a spiritual battle, to try to overcome Satan and the world and the nature that we have within us, a nature of rebellion, of deception, and where our best righteous effort is filthy rags before God all our righteousnesses. So, it is a horrendous task to try to put sin out of our lives. And yet, last night, during the Passover service, God forgave our sins. He put them out of our life. He did it very quickly, and seemingly quite easily, So that last night when we got done, we were clean before God, because the blood of Christ washes sin away. Now, it seemed it only took an hour for Passover, that it didn't take that long to do. But We have to realize that an awful lot of planning went into what happened last night. Long before the earth was ever even formed, The Father and He Who Became the Son discussed making mankind and making them in their image and to eventually include them as part of their family. And they knew, and I think this planning went on after Satan's rebellion, they knew what obstacles would be in the way of mankind joining God in his family. So they determined, even before the earth, the creation was made here, maybe the earth was here, but it had been in without form and void for some time, but long before they recreated life upon this earth, they said that Christ would have to come to the earth and die in order for man to be saved from his sin. So it's a pretty arduous thing to get rid of sin, and all of Satan's rebellion, all of the demon's attitudes, all of man's sin would have to be overcome before we could be part of the kingdom of God. So they formed a very, very explicit plan. They thought of all the ins and the outs of what would have to occur They set up a timeline whereby all this would occur, and it was a 7,000-year timeline, each day of creation as a thousand years, with a day of peace and rest at the end, the last thousand years. Under that was tacked the Great White Throne Judgment, which is still dealing with people from the first 6,000-7,000 years. So it really is a part of that. So the entire plan really is 7,000 years with some time left over to deal with some of those from that 7,000-year time span. Now, there were a few people down through history who did truly try to obey God and were righteous to some degree through his direction, through his help, through his trials and troubles he put them through, the blessings he gave them, there were very, very few of them when you consider the multiple billions of people who've lived since Adam and how few are mentioned in the book of Hebrews as having been righteous and who will be a part of the kingdom of God. So, a very, very low percentage, .001 what ever. Uh, and then, it went up just a little bit in the early New Testament church. There were, was a very fast conversion rate there at, on Acts, in Acts 2, and 3,000 and 5,000 added, and I don't know how long that went on, but there was a pretty good size amount of people who did repent and were baptized And it wasn't long after that that the falling away began, and the people gave up what they had learned, and then there came to be enemies in the church of the apostles, and so on as time went on, and by about 70 years later, around 100 A.D., about the time of John the Apostle's death, the church had disappeared. There was hardly anything left of it, and nothing notable that the historians even talk about. There may have been a few individuals still trying to keep the Sabbath, the Holy Days, the basics, who knows? Because God said it would not die out, so maybe there were a few names. Even down through the Middle Ages, we've tried to trace, and it's hard to find. We, find, we have some suspects of people who might have been true Christians. Uh, and there are some suspects even of those who colonized America who were keeping the Sabbath and the Holy Days. So, it has been a very, very dismal record that we as human beings have uh, put forth. I covered that some a couple weeks ago in in a sermon. But here we are, having been forgiven, having been cleansed by the blood of Christ, retaking those symbols of the bread and the wine for our physical healing and our spiritual healing, And we're presented to Christ as whole and clean. And that's the symbolism of last night. Now, are we done with sin? This day, the first day of Unleavened Bread, and the next six, along with it, represent a time in which we are to be putting sin out of our lives. Now, that means, then, that even though forgiveness may be offered for our sins, we still have a sinful nature. We still have a mind that goes there. Uh, Whether it's outright moral uh, flagrancy, or whether it's simply self-centeredness and and, self-righteousness, and all those things that we don't detect necessarily, but that are part of us in our utter selfishness that we have. So, every year we have the Passover, and then we have seven days of putting sin out of our lives. We put out leavening as a symbol of that, because puffed up simply represents the pride, the vanity, the ego of human beings that leads us to selfishness and sin and doing things against our neighbors simply because we want what we want. So here we are. Today let's go back to the book of Exodus. And having mentioned how arduous a task it is to come out of sin, let's see the history of the book of Exodus and what transpired there. Now, they had gone down into Egypt, or Mitzrium in the Hebrew, uh, not that land of Egypt over in northern Africa, but the land of Mitzrium here in this country where the promised land was and is. But they had gone down there because of famine in the land. Joseph had gone ahead of time, had gone through an awful lot of of difficulty as we recounted in a sermon recently about Joseph and how he had gone to jail and he'd been falsely accused and all kinds of things sold by his brothers all kinds of things that happened to him but God used him then not only to feed मिस्रियम but to feed his father and his brothers and their families 70 souls who came down into मिस्रियम for relief from famine. So God had set this whole thing up with Joseph way ahead of time. God does not do things right at the last second or without planning. He has very specific plans, even as they planned long before man was put on the earth, about what would occur. They understood the exigencies of of Satan and the demons in human nature. So anyway, we pick the story up here in Exodus after Joseph has died and those who were with him. All his brothers and all that generation, verse 6, had died. So, the children of Israel were fruitful, verse 7, and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. We know that when they came out, we'll see as we go along, that there were 600,000 men, not counting women and children, who came out when the exodus occurred. So they went into Mithraim with 70 people, not including Joseph, who was already there. So 71, and out of that, several million had increased. So that's where we enter this, is where they began to increase and multiply. And a new king rose up, who didn't know Joseph, he looked around and he said, Man, there's getting to be a lot of those people. What are we going to do? He feared that if uh, they went to war, that they're slaves, and they had become that, would side with whoever was trying to destroy them, and that would give them an awful lot of foot soldiers to war against them, which was really a legitimate concern. Uh, Did he really expect those Israelites who were being mistreated to be on his side? Uh, No. But he represents Satan and the demons. He represents sin. We find throughout all the Bible that this Egypt, or this Mitzrium as it is, is a type of sin. Uh, And they were ensconced deeply in sin. So they put heavier burdens on them in verse 11, and the more they afflicted them, the more they grew. (laughs) They had troubles in the daytime, so they bred at night. And uh, the Mitzriamites became grieved because of the children of Israel. It's kind of an odd situation, really. Uh, These are your slaves that are working for you and your servants, and yet uh, they bug you uh, because you're afraid of them and the actual numbers that they had come to have. So they made them serve with rigor, made their lives hard in verse 13, and their lives bitter with hard bondage. So this had become not a soft yoke, but an iron yoke upon them as they were made to serve very hard. They were making mortar and bricks and laying bricks and all manner of service in the field. And they were put in very extreme conditions, probably working long hours, uh, very hard work. And not only that, verse 15, the king of Mitzrim spoke to the Hebrew midwives, and uh, he said, if there's a son that is born, kill it. If it's a daughter, let it live. That was not abortion, per se, but very close to it. Uh, In one sense, perhaps even worse, because they were born as babies, and then they were to be killed right there on the spot is what's occurring in this country really that strange? I think we're going to see before we're done with this series of sermons that all that was done back here was a precursor and a type for today. That it's not just ancient history, but it's about today. And we'll see that as we go along and and, uh, look at some other scriptures. I don't want to get into that and make all those parallels right now. (coughs) I want to go through this story. And then later on, we'll see how it ties in with today. Anyway, the midwives feared God and did not as the king of uh, Mitzrium commanded them, but saved the men' children alive. Now, we're going to see as we go through the story that they essentially, the Israelites, had forgotten God. They didn't know who he was, but they had some consciousness of a God and knew some right from wrong, that murdering babies was not God and however they thought of Him. It was not His will. We have that similar in our country today, where people don't know God, but they acknowledge the name of God. They call themselves Christian, but don't have a clue what one is. Uh, That's what we're dealing with, and I think that's pretty much what was happening back then. So the, the king called the midwives and says, What have you done? You've saved the men children alive. I told you to kill them all. They said, Well, it's because the Hebrew, the Hebrew women aren't like the Egyptians. When they have a labor pang, it's over before we can even get there. Uh, the, the baby's already born, and they've got it hid or got it put away, and we can't just take it from the birth canal and kill it because they've already got it swaddled and... <laughs> And, uh, or holding it. When we get there, do we have to rip them out of their arms to kill them, you know? It was a situation where they lost control once the baby was born and given to the parent. So, God dealt well with the midwives, verse 20, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. So it was God's desire and His purpose that Israel uh, multiply to a great extent. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. I don't know exactly how that transpired. Did God come down and build them some houses and hand them over? I'm sure that somehow he worked it out that these midwives, who were in a certain amount of trouble with the king, uh, wound up with some nice homes. Doesn't give us the detail, but... God was behind it, very obviously. So then Pharaoh told his people, not just the midwives, because that hadn't worked out too well, told his people, every son that is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Now they figured probably they'd save the girls, and the Mitzriamites could breed with them, and they could breed Israel out of existence that way. I I would assume that. Uh, But the males were to die. The the females were to threat in terms of war or siding with an enemy that might come in, so he allowed them to live. So then something important occurs. There was a man of the house of Levi, and he had a daughter of Levi, and uh, they married, and she conceived and bore a son And she hid him for three months, but as he began to get a little older and a little bigger, she couldn't very well hide him, so she made a little boat out of reeds, (coughs) daubed it with slime so it wouldn't leak, and pitch, and put the child in it, and laid it in the flags by the edge of the river. Now that's interesting in a way that Pharaoh had said, throw all the boy babies in the river. And his mother put the boy baby in the river. So she was complying. However, she didn't just throw him in and let him drown. She put him in the river, but she gave him protection. And then put his sister there to stand way back and watch and be sure he didn't float out into the current perhaps and and be gone or that something didn't happen to him. So then a crisis occurred. Uh, the daughter was... They are watching, and here comes the daughter of Pharaoh. She probably had on royal clothes, and the daughter knew who she was. Uh, They didn't have indoor plumbing in Mithraim at that time, apparently, so they would go down to the river to bathe. And her maidens came to the riverside with her, and then she opened this uh, little boat that she found, and Moses was crying aloud. Uh, He was not happy. And she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew's children. Well, they were of a different race, so it wasn't too hard for her to figure out it was a Hebrew kid. Uh, So here comes the sister. Now, she was quick thinking. Here comes the sister and says, oh, you found a baby. Wow. Would you like me to get somebody to nurse that baby for you? And she says, well, that would be a good idea. So she ran home and grabbed her mother and they gave the baby to its own mother to nurse. So she gave her pay. How many of you ever got paid for nursing your kid? That's pretty rare. And the child grew, verse 10, and she brought him into Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. (coughs) So she adopted him. And she called his name Moses, which means drawn out. She had drawn him out of the water and given him life. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, now he had grown up, he was probably 40 about this time, because immediately he fled into Midian, and he stayed there 40 years. Then after Israel uh, was let out of captivity. He lived another 40 years in the wilderness. So there were three phases of Moses' life. Forty years growing up in the culture of Egypt, 40 years in the desert, and then 40 years again in the desert and wilderness. Uh, He lived to 120. Though he had grown up, even as you and I, have grown up in a society around us in a culture that was essentially godless. And he had been taught all the Egyptian culture, all their customs, all their habits, all their uh, celebrations, everything about it he had grown up in. Now, he was basically divided then from his own people. He knew who they were because of his skin color. They were in the land of Ham. So their captives essentially were of the black race, and they were the white race. So it wasn't too hard to figure out that uh, he was an adopted kid. Anyway, even with that cultural background, he still had an affinity for Israelites. And when he saw uh, an Israelite being beaten by a Mizraimite, he killed him. And he looked both ways. He didn't want to be seen doing this, so he knew there was great danger in what he was about to do. But it so infuriated him to see that man abused, misused, and beaten by the Mitzriumite that he had a fit of temper and looked around, didn't see anybody as a witness, and killed him. And then put him in a shallow grave in the sand. So then he was out the second day, and there were two Hebrews Hebrews this time fighting with each other. Uh, And he said to the guy that did the wrong, Why are you beating up on this other guy? Uh, And uh uh-oh, it's hard to do anything without being seen somehow, somewhere. We're certainly in a surveillance age today where you can't type on your computer or your iPhone... Without it being known, and somebody can monitor it if they want to, back then, somebody obviously had seen, and he said, "Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you kill the Egyptian?" I got Moses' attention in a real hurry. Ooh, somebody saw that, and uh, the Israelites were slaves <clears throat> and considered less than human, I'm sure. Uh, And he feared, knowing that the death penalty would be on him for killing a Mitzriamite, Pharaoh's daughter's son or not. So when Pharaoh heard about it, he decided to kill Moses. Moses uh, knew the score, and he'd fled and went to the land of Midian and sat down by a well. So he out there all by himself, homeless Moses, uh, sat down at a well. Maybe he wasn't going to panhandle, but he didn't know what to do. Here I am. Here's a well. uh, I'll get a drink of water, and I certainly can't go back. They'll kill me. What do I do now? The priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. But there were shepherds there, men, that drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. So they got done a lot quicker than normally they would because these seven daughters probably had problems with these shepherds most every day. And they had to wait until everybody else got done watering so that they could. Seven daughters, very interesting, isn't it? Anyway, they came to their father and he said, How'd you get done watering so quick today? Verse 19, they said, A, a mystery of might delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and drew water for us and watered the flock. And he says, well, where is he? He helped you. What'd you do with him? Call him. Why did you leave him out there? Well, Moses was content to dwell with the man. Uh, the man helped him. The man fed him. And the man had seven daughters. What's to hate about this? So he was content, and he was given Zipporah as his wife of the seven daughters. Christ will choose one of the seven. We've got the story of the seven virgins, don't we? So then he had a son called Gershom, uh, and then the king died, and Israel sighed, verse 23, by reason of the bondage. And they cried, and their cry came up to God by reason of the bondage. Now, they did not necessarily sigh and cry to God. They didn't know God. But they sighed and cried. (laughs) And God heard it because they may not have known who He was, but He knew who they were. God knows who the people of this nation are, but they don't know who He is. So there are parallels here. God heard their groaning, and he remembered Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the promises he'd made. So, (coughs) Moses minded the flock, became a shepherd, and he went to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God. So the mountains apparently were on beyond the desert as it stood there, even to Mount Horeb. And there... Not an angel, but the Lord, appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, but it didn't get burned up. In his experience, if he'd seen a bush burning, it burned up. It was gone. But this one didn't. It just kept burning, and and nothing was happening. So he thought he'd better go have a look at that. And as he drew over there, Christ said, Moses, Moses. And he says... Well, here I am. (laughs) Uh, Those who became or were God's servants were always in the mood or in the mode of saying, Here am I. Here I am. Uh, We've run across this several times in the Bible where someone God was going to work with had a ready mind. Whatever you want, here am I. And he didn't really know who God was either, did he? Not at this point. But he said, my name's Moses, I'm here. He said, don't come near here, put your shoes off, this is holy ground. Now, it was holy because Christ was there, and it may have also been holy because it is the place God had chosen uh, as the mountain of God, Horeb, later became the hill of Jerusalem and Mount Zion, and that area is, uh, compositely, the mountain of God. Now God is not currently there, dwelling there, so we don't look upon it as holy because His presence is what makes it holy. When He comes and dwells there soon, it will be holy ground. Then He told him who He was. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Moses knew the history, at least, of Israel, and Moses hid his face. For He was afraid to look upon God. Oh, that's who you are. I'm going to hide my face. And he said, I've seen the affliction of your people in Mitzriam, and I've heard their cry. I've come to deliver them out of the hand of the Mitzriumites to bring them out out of that land to a good land and large, a land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land, everything you would need, Deuteronomy 8, 7 and 8 says. And the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Debusites, and all these people are there now, but I'm going to give it to these people. So he says, I've heard their oppression, and I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, verse 10, that you may bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of (coughs) Mithraim. I'm sure that scared Moses right there. He knew there was a warrant out for him dead or alive, and uh, he's been told to go back there. So that that would have stuck a little bit in his throat and in his stomach. And verse 11, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Mitzrayim? Well, he was kind of glossing over his background that God had miraculously saved him and had trained him so that he knew the ways and the habits and the culture of Mitzrayim and would have some knowledge of how to handle whatever it was that he was going to go do. He had been trained for the job. And then God said, I'm going to be with you. This will be a token that I've sent you. You will serve God on this mountain. This is where your people are going to come. And at that point, Moses was scheduled to be there too. But some events transpired which caused that not quite to happen that way. But his people would serve there on that mountain. Anyway, Moses said to God, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say? He didn't even know God's name at this point. He knew Israel's history to some degree, but he didn't know who God was. And uh, he was going to go tell them, God sent me. How does that work? You go to people today, and you tell them, God has revealed His truth to me, and I'm going to tell you His truth. And uh, this, is, this is what you need to know about God and about His Sabbath and about His ways And uh, you face immediate opposition because people have an absolute uh, diabolical attitude against anything that is truly godly. If you told them Tuesday was a Sabbath, they might listen and think about it a little bit. If you tell them it's Saturday, uh, you're out the door right now. There's just an animosity there. God said to Moses, I am that I am. He said, You shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. What would that mean to them? I am sent me. (laughs) Who's I am? Is that dog food or what is that? No, it's the great God of the universe. But they didn't know that. God said... You say to the children <clears throat> that I'm the God of your fathers. And maybe they'll understand that. So he said, verse 16, Go gather the elders of Israel and tell them <clears throat> that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I've come to bring you out. Uh, this, this God I am has seen your affliction, and he's going to take you into land of flowing with milk and honey. I had an experience, I guess, similar to this in a way over in Kenya a few years ago where I don't know that they were really grasping the message because I was telling them this story about where the promised land is and how uh, God had originally had it here and not in the Middle East and I had translators there translating it so that they could understand and I don't know how clear the translation was and whether it was abridged somewhat and changed by the translators, who knows? But I know that they were translating some of it properly, because I was telling them that the promised land is in America, and that God was going to follow, would gather all those who were true believers of God to America. Now, boy, oh boy, did they jump on that! Everybody wants to come to America. Well, that's changing now a little bit. There's some people don't want to come and some who are here want to leave, but uh, things are getting worse. But that, is still was, that was still in the minds of those people because they were in grinding poverty, barely had anything to eat. They all had a cell phone, but not much to eat. Uh, and they lived in huts made of leaves and sticks and stones and mud. But they had cell phones. Anyway, I told them about a land of milk and honey, and they wanted to come. So this had a certain appeal. You know, I don't know who God is, I don't know who you are, but if you're going to take us out of this and give us some milk and honey in a a beautiful land, uh, we'll do that. Uh, And God said, they'll hearken to your voice, and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Mithraim. Now, he's not going to be as receptive as the people. Uh, Pharaoh's not going to be taken to a land of milk and honey. He's going to have his servants removed. So he's going to have a totally different attitude than the people would have had. Deliverance sounds good, doesn't it? Doesn't blessing and honor and glory and the promises God has made sound good? Yes, it does. And God speed the day when it occurs. we're all for that. But you know what? Satan and the demons don't want to turn us loose. He didn't want to turn those people loose either. And that's why this whole story is in here, is for us to go back and read and understand that sin does not give up easily. That's why I started this with, have you ever tried to quit sinning? And uh, that's a loaded question, obviously, because it isn't easy to quit. So we'll see here that this was quite a task. So they were going to go tell him they wanted to go three days journey into the wilderness that we might sacrifice to the Lord our God. Uh, And I'm sure, verse 19, the king of Mitzrayim will not let you go, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Mitzrayim with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof, and after that he will let you go. So Satan and his system were not going to turn of them loose of them very easily, and they were going to have to go through an awful lot before they would turn loose. I could refer to quite a few New Testament scriptures right here, but let's move on, and we'll get to those later. And when you go, you'll not go empty, uh, because... You'll get the silver and the jewels and gold and raiment and all those things, and you'll spoil the Mitzriumites before you go. So they had been working without pay all this time, and suddenly they were going to get a payday. Not only would they have all the gold and jewels and everything that they uh, might have desired from uh, Mitzrium that they could haul with them, uh, they would also be led to a land of milk and honey. So this is looking pretty good to them. Chapter 4, Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken to my voice, for they will say, The Lord has not appeared to you. Well, who are you? What do you mean the Lord appeared to you? Uh, you had a dream? You're crazy. Uh, whatever. Uh, this has always been throughout history. Anybody who felt that they had a commission from God was who and treated like Christ was treated. All the prophets... Uh, Basically, were killed or punished or put in prison or whatever. Uh, If they came with a message from God, uh, people wouldn't believe it. God hasn't appeared to you. You're crazy. The Eternal said to him, "What is that in your hand?" He says, "Well, it's it's a rod." He says, "Throw it on the ground." So he threw it on the ground. It became a snake, and Moses shrank back and fled in a hurry. Because apparently it was a poisonous snake he recognized, or maybe not, I don't know. But a snake was a snake, and when you first see a snake, you jump. And that's what he did. So he says, put forth your hand and take it by the tail. You said, what now? <laughs> you want me to reach down and grab that snake? Uh, okay. So he did. He put out his hand he caught it. And it became a rod again. And he breathed a sigh of relief, I'm sure. He says, It became a rod in his hand that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to you. So he says, It happened once, it's going to happen again in front of them. And they'll. you can use that to show that you've talked to somebody pretty important. Uh, you don't always just throw down a, walking stick, and it becomes a snake, and you pick it back up, and it's not a snake anymore. That's that's kind of unusual. So God gave him some backup here. But that wasn't enough. He says, put your hand in your bosom. So he put his hand in his robe, or whatever he was wearing, and it came out leprous, white as snow. Interesting, isn't it, that when Miriam and Aaron rebelled against Moses... That was the punishment God used, was leprosy. Uh, they knew this story. You think Moses hadn't told them and didn't tell the Israelites about the snake and the leprous hand? So God set this thing up way ahead of time. So he put his hand back in on instruction, It was just like the other flesh. This must have been pretty impressive to Moses. And they said, if they don't believe you, they'll believe these signs. And if they don't believe the two signs, tell you what, you can pour some water out of the river on the ground, it'll turn into blood. God used that here to convince Moses and to convince Israel, and in a little while it would become one of the plagues that came upon Mitzrayim. And we'll see that that also is going to be used here in the end time." Anyway, verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent. Now, he's, he's getting kind of cold feet here. Uh, he kind of knows what he's going up against, going back against Mitzrayim and the Pharaoh. And he also had his misgivings about even facing his own people who knew he'd killed uh, the Egyptian. So he used the excuse of, well, I'm not eloquent. Uh, I'm I'm a slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Maybe he stuttered. He couldn't talk normally or something. And God said, who made man's mouth? Uh, I've called you. I've seen you through 80 years now. Who makes the dumb or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the eternal? Do we doubt God's promises here in the end time when he says the blind will see and the deaf will hear and the dumb will speak? God used that back here with Moses. What do you mean you have a slow tongue? Didn't I make tongues? Uh, I can fix that. Didn't I fix that snake? (laughs) Didn't I fix that hand that turned leprous? That's no excuse. Forget that. You know, we we may not have all the abilities that we would like to have. As I said in the beginning, we we don't all play and sing like some choruses and some orchestras, so we'll listen to them sing about God because we don't have the capacities or the skill to make it worth listening to. Uh, We will someday, but we don't now. So God can fix things. Uh, but Moses still didn't quite buy it. He says, "Send whoever you'll send. Just just get somebody else, would you? I, I, I'm not up to this. I can't do this." And then God got angry at Moses. Now Moses became God's friend. He became His servant and His friend. But right here, God wasn't he wasn't very happy. He said, "Okay, you got a brother, Aaron, the Levite. Uh, I know he." Speaks pretty well. He doesn't stutter and stammer, and doesn't have a slow tongue. Uh, he's coming to meet you, and when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. Now, Moses didn't know Aaron was on his way to see him, but God did. God knows everything that's going on. You speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you what you shall do. So he says, "All right." You won't speak to the people then. And that's the way it was from then on. Uh, Moses would tell Aaron what to say, and then Aaron would say it. I imagine this became difficult and arduous for Moses over time. And I imagine he thought, man, I wish I hadn't done that. But he had, and he had to live with it. Is there anything you think about? Oh, oh, man, I wish I'd never done that. wish I'd never thought that. But you have to live with history. Sin may be forgiven, but the history's there that is not easy to deal with. Well, anyway, Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. (laughs) You're going, come hell or high water, Moses, but you just won't be doing the talking. And he'll be to you instead of a mouth, and you shall be to him instead of God. So God would not speak to Aaron, he'd speak to Moses, and Aaron was the translator, if you will, or the spokesman. Uh, And you'll take this rod in your hand, wherewith you shall do signs. So Moses would do signs and wonders with that rod. Uh, So Moses accepted it, so he went to his father-in-law Jethro and said, uh... I need to go back to Egypt. I need to see my kin and my family and see if anybody is still alive. And uh, made some excuse of why he needed to leave and take his daughter, his his wife, and Jethro's daughter, and so on. Jethro said, "Okay, go in peace." So uh, he, he set about returning. And uh, God told him, all the men are dead which sought your life. So he says, you're not under a death warrant anymore. Uh, It's going to be safe for you to go. So that must have been a relief too. Doesn't God take care of things? He took care of things. You don't have to worry about dying. Uh, All those guys that wanted you, they're gone. So he returned, put his wife and his sons on an ass. I assume they had each their own ass and they weren't all on the same one, but they can't haul much. But he returned at Mitzrayim, and he took the rod of God in his hand. And God told him, See that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand, but I will harden his heart that he won't let the people go. So even though they were going to get out of there, it was not going to be easy. So, the first time that Pharaoh was entreated wasn't going to happen. And it says, I'll harden his heart. Somebody gave a sermon at years ago, I remember in college, actually, that used the Hebrew to show that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. I haven't looked into that, but it may be the case. Why would God harden his heart? Pharaoh would harden his own heart. Uh, But nonetheless, God used that Situation: no matter who hardened his heart, the heart got hardened. And Pharaoh wasn't about to turn them loose. So he said, Say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Eternal, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, I will slay your son, even your firstborn. Well, God puts it to Pharaoh pretty strongly here and Pharaoh obviously didn't quite believe it and didn't believe in God now this was eventually to actually occur and God told Pharaoh about it way ahead of time God has told Satan what his fate's going to be and he's told us way ahead of time a lot of things that are about to happen and we need to believe God Pharaoh didn't and ultimately he lost his firstborn son because he didn't believe We better believe God. Uh, And it came to pass by the way in the inn. They were staying at a hotel, motel, whatever. Didn't have motels in, didn't have motors, but uh, they put their ass in the the manger, I guess. The Lord met him and sought to kill him. It's a little unclear here, but uh, Zipporah, the mother, took a sharp son stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and threw it at Moses' feet and said, you're a bloody husband to me. Uh, so God was instituting here the need for circumcision, as he had with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and uh, it had to be done. So it may be that God was going to kill Moses' son or kill Moses uh, if the circumcision wasn't done. In other words, if you're going to be Israelites, you've got to be Israelites, You've got to have works. You can't just say, I'm an Israelite, and it mean anything. Doers of the law, not just hearers. Anyway, Moses told Aaron, verse 28, all the words that God had sent him, and all the signs which he had commanded him. So he told him the whole story. Hey, Aaron, this is it, and uh, you're now my broadcaster. So Aaron spoke all these words which the Eternal had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. Did the snake, did the leprosy, did the whole thing. And the people believed. They heard that the Eternal had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked upon their affliction. Then they bowed their heads and worshipped. So Israel decided, this I am God must be pretty important. Uh, Look at what has happened here. So then Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, Let my people go, but they will hold a feast to God in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I'm God around here. Who's this God you're telling me about? I don't know him. I don't care anything about him. I don't know him. They said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Don't you know him? No, don't know him. Uh, let us go three days into the desert to sacrifice to the eternal, or he might kill us with a pestilence or the sword. And oh, we we've, we've got to do this. King of Mitzraim said to them, Wherefore do you, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you to your burdens? What are you doing fooling around here and disrupting my servants? They're out there supposed to be making bricks and hauling manure. Get out of the way. Get back to work. Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are many, and you make them rest from their burdens. And Pharaoh... He said, I'm losing a lot of man hours here. So he commanded the same day, the taskmasters of the people said, Don't give them any more straw to make brick. Let them go get their own straw. But they got to make just as many bricks. That's just extra work they have to do. Because they're, they've got too much time on their hands. They're saying, Let us go worship our God. So... If they got that much time on their hands, uh, we need to get them busier. So let more work be laid on them. Verse nine, and let's let's get this stupid talk shut down. So they went out, and saying, Pharaoh said, "I'm not going to give you any straw. Go get your own straw." And uh, so they had to scatter all over the place to find stubble instead of straw. And they told him, Go ahead and work. We're going to beat you half to death if you don't get it all done. So they beat them and demanded that they get these bricks made. Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you treating us like this? There's no straw. We get beat. Uh, the fault is your own people. They're, they're being mean to us. And he said, No, verse 17, you're idle. You're idle. You've you know, you got way too much time on your hands. Uh, You want to go worship some god? No, get to work. Uh, And Israel's officers didn't like this. And they met Moses and Aaron, verse 20, who stood in the way as they came from Pharaoh. And they said, The Lord look upon you and judge. Well, they began to turn on Moses and Aaron here all of a sudden. God be your judge. Look what's happened. You've made our Savior to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of the servants to put a sword in their hand to slay us. Everything you've done since you've been here has turned against us. What kind of leaders are you? Israel murmuring against Moses started pretty early, didn't it? Didn't take long. As soon as they met their first obstacle in getting out of Mitzrayim and going to a land of milk and honey, they rebelled and murmured. They've treated us so mean. Is this why we're here Moses who turned to God and said Lord wherefore have you done so evil and treated this people why have you sent me even he began to question they threw rocks at him and then he threw a few rocks at God you know you sent me here to take them out and I'm here and I asked for them to go and it isn't happening and they're getting beat and they're blaming me why did you send me here For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to this people, neither have you delivered your people at all. So they looked upon him as a false prophet, and he even looked upon himself as a false prophet, and he looked upon God as not keeping his word. Has anything changed in mankind since the beginning? Or since this? No. Anybody God sends... Uh, nobody likes them. That's just the way it always is. And Moses didn't even like himself, and to get him to the point, he didn't even really like God. But he had some answers. He had some lessons to learn, too. So here we go to verse chapter 6. The Lord said to Moses, Now shall you see what I will do to Pharaoh. He says, All right, you're here murmuring and grousing at me. Uh, I haven't not done it, or it isn't that I'm not going to do it. It just hasn't all happened yet. So here we sit. We've been brought out of the cities and into the wilderness to prepare a place. And we've sat here for quite a while. And some begin to murmur and gripe and complain and say, This isn't going to happen. What has changed? God's going to do it. God's still going to do it. He promised He would. But it's in His time and His way. And it doesn't do us a bit of good to gripe and complain or quit or whatever. You're going to see what I'll do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. He says, He's not only going to let you go, He's going to drive you out. And that doesn't mean in a Cadillac... It means forcibly drive you out. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Eternal. He says, Moses, did you, did you forget something? I told you who I am. <laughs> and now you're beginning to question me. He said, I am. Get that? Understand? I appeared to Mo- Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... By the name of God Almighty, but my name, Jehovah, was I not known to them. So, he used a different name here, Jehovah, however that is pronounced. It's YHVH in the Hebrew and nobody knows, they've just put that in as Jehovah, but he is, I am. So I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. I heard the groaning of Israel. Uh, He's reiterating to Moses, what's going on here? He says, you're you're beginning to be a little uh, shaky, Moses. Uh, Here's the story. Now, I'm the same God. Wherefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Eternal, and will bring you out from under the burdens of the Mishraimites, I'll rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched-out arm and with great judgments. And boy, was that a statement. Wait to see what comes. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God. And you shall know that I am the Eternal, your God, which brings you out from under the burdens of the Mitzriamites. Who can deliver us from sin? Only God. Paul said, Oh wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of sin and death? And then he said, Christ only. So, you have trouble coming out of sin, don't you? You can't do it without God's help. You, you just can't do it on your own. It's impossible. I think we read that in John 14, 15, 16, 17 last night, where he says, you can't do it without me. Somewhere right in that context he said that. Don't don't even try without my help. You know, Satan's ruling the world. He has been since Adam and Eve. And if you think you can get out of sin without God's help, if Satan's going to turn you loose and your nature is going to allow you not to sin, on your own, this isn't going to happen. So you can try and you can try to have willpower and you can... Uh, Psych yourself up, and you can try to change habits, and you can do all kinds of things. But without God, you're going to fail. So go to God. Hear God saying, I'm with you. Come to me, and I'll redeem you. Verse 8 And I will bring you into the land concerning the which I did swear to your fathers I am the Lord. Verse 9, Moses spoke to the children of Israel, but they hearkened not to Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. Oh, yeah, it's just words, Moses. You're not out here having to make bricks all day long and go fetch your own straw. You know, why should we listen to you? We already found out that every time we listen to you, things get worse. So leave us alone. kind of an uphill battle trying to get people to change, isn't it? Trying to get them to do what God wants done. And doesn't it seem tough living this Christian life? We say, "All right, God, I'll obey you and I expect blessings. And then you get trial, trouble, and tribulation. (laughs) Which he also promised. He promises blessing, but he also promises it won't come easy. So, We are today reliving these words, these circumstances. God has said He's going to lead us out. He's going to get us away from Satan and sin. And uh, we have trouble with that. So Moses was told again, verse 11, Go speak to Pharaoh and uh, ask him to let you go. And Moses said, Behold, the children of Israel won't even listen to me. They're not going to go. What what good is it going to do to go ask Pharaoh to let them go? Because they're sitting on their haunches now and they won't even follow me if I lead out of here. How will Pharaoh listen to me if the people that I'm, that I'm supposed to deliver won't even listen? I have uncircumcised lips. I, I can't even speak right. The Lord, the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron and gave them a charge to the children of Israel... And to bring them out. And then it goes through and names who all they were, and I don't think that's important to the story here today. It's important it wouldn't be in here, but not for our purposes of of understanding about sin and how easy it is to get out of it. (laughs) And I say that sarcastically. Anyway, verse thirty of chapter six, Moses said before the eternal, I've got uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh hearken to me? So he's still making excuses. We're to learn from Moses, aren't we? Don't make excuses. Just do what God says. That's that's it. Uh, We're to learn from Moses' good example, and we're to learn from Moses' problems, too, so that we don't make the same mistakes he made. Anyway, chapter 7, the Lord said to Moses, I've made you a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. He says, you're going to be just like a god before Pharaoh, and your prophet will be alongside you, and he'll speak the things that need to be said. And you better say everything I command you, and he'll tell it to Pharaoh. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, verse 3, and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Mitzriam. So God isn't going to make this easy. On Pharaoh. He's not going to make it easy on his people. It's not going to be easy for anybody. We're facing the end times now, and it's not easy for anybody. Not going to be. We'll see that play out. He's not going to let you go, but I'll bring you out with great judgments, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord." I can show you some scriptures in Isaiah and others where God is going to do some things to show people from the east to the west around the world that He is God. And it's not going to be fun and it's not going to be pretty. So anyway, uh, verse 7, Moses was 80 and Aaron was 83. So they were old men uh, when they talked to Pharaoh. And God... T- Talk to them in verse 9. It says, When Pharaoh shall speak to you, saying, Show a miracle for you, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. So they went, and uh, Aaron cast it down, and it became a serpent. And Pharaoh called the wise men and the sorcerers. Now the magicians of Egypt, verse 11, did in like manner with their enchantments. They turned rods into snakes. Do you think Satan and his demons can do miracles? Go back and read Revelation 13 sometime. There will be great signs and lying wonders in the end time. So, just because a miracle occurs doesn't mean it's necessarily of God. You have to look at all the context in who is serving God and who isn't. Who is obeying God and who is not. Because miracles and signs and wonders do not necessarily denote God's presence. Satan can do these things. Anyway, so they made not only one snake, but they made lots of snakes. And then rods, Aaron's rods swallowed up their rods, verse 12. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened because, hey, that was no big deal. My magicians did the same thing and had more snakes than you had. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, he refuses to let the people go. So that's pretty obvious, but God said, hey, it didn't work this time. So he says, go in the morning. He's going to go out to the water, and you shall stand by the riverside, and uh, when he comes, and the rod which turned into a serpent, you will have in your hand. And you'll tell him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness." And behold, you wouldn't listen to me. Verse 17, Thus says the Lord, In this you shall know that I am the Lord. I'll smite with the rod that is in my hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. Fish will die, the river will stink, and there won't be anything for you to drink. So God said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your rod and stretch your hand, and the water turned to blood right there. The fish in the river died, went belly up, floated. The river stunk, and they couldn't drink the water. And there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, not just in that one spot uh, where he stuck the rod in. But, verse 22, the magicians did the same thing. Wherever there was some fresh water still, they turned it into blood too. So, here we're, you know, it's kind of a... What do they call it? A Mexican standoff. Nobody's winning this thing. And Pharaoh just turned around, went to his house, and uh, the Egyptians or Mitzrayimites dug around the river, and, and uh, water came into the holes they dug so they could drink. And they had seven days of the river really stinking. <clears throat> it doesn't take a carcass very long to stink and a carcass in a river of blood, a fish carcass. Well, we know how fish smell after three days. And if they're floating in blood, this this gets pretty good. Uh, This this, 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 this is very noxious to your nostrils. Anyway, chapter 8. Here comes number 2. The Lord spoke to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say, Let my people go. And if they don't... Smite all their borders with frogs. Well, frogs don't sound too bad. Everybody likes to hear a little croaker now and then. I'll smite all their borders with frogs, and the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go in and come into your house and into your bedchamber and upon your bed and into the house of your servants and on the people and into your ovens and into your kneading troughs. That's a lot of frogs. And getting in bed and feeling wet, clammy, slimy frogs would not be good. Or pulling your food out of the oven as it cooked, and here's this curled up fried frog, baked frog. Frogs everywhere. So, they did it. Aaron stretched out his hand, and here came the frogs. Frogs. Verse 7, the magicians did so with their enchantments. You think, don't have enough frogs? We'll make some more. And they did. And brought up frogs on the land of Mitzriam. And Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take the frogs from me and from my people, and I'll let them go. And and, you know, my magicians can make frogs too, but this is getting sort of difficult for me. I'm I'm tired of frogs. Take them away, and I'll let you go. And Moses said to Pharaoh, Glory over me. When shall I entreat for you and for your servants and for your people? When shall I do this? And he said, Tomorrow. And he said, Be it according to your word, that they may know that there is none like to the Eternal our God. And the frogs will go away tomorrow. And they'll remain in the river only. They'll still be frogs, but they'll just be in the river. And they... Moses and Aaron went out and cried to the eternal because of the frogs and God did according to the word of Moses and the frogs died out of the houses out of the villages and out of the fields and they gathered them together upon heaps and the land really really stunk and Pharaoh saw that there was respite so he hardened his heart he said well hey the frogs are gone now uh we got big stinking piles of them but they're not in my bed and they may have burned the stinking piles and gotten rid of that. So he says, alright, frogs are gone. Crisis over. Back to work. Verse 16, Lord said to Moses, and Say to Aaron, Stretch out your rod again and smite the dust of the land that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now that's worse than frogs. Mm-hmm. A lot worse than frogs. Lice are little bitty bitty creatures, and they get all over you, and they get in everything, and they bite, and they pinch, and they're uncomfortable, and they feel funny when they crawl through your hair. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand, and the dust of the earth became lice in man and in beast, and all the dust of the land became lice. That's a lot of lice. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice. But they could not. So there were lice upon man and upon beast. They finally found something the magicians couldn't do. They couldn't make lice. (laughs) But to me, the story is here, that it's not going to be entirely easy for God's people to get separated from sin. And some of the trouble that's coming in the world now, God's people are going to have to go through. Part of it. Not all of it, but some of it. Because the story is here that the Israelites had uh, blood and they had frogs and they had lice. So it's not going to be easy. And did this help the Israelites' attitude? I wonder. I doubt it, seriously. Anyway, verse 19, The magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. He said, The devil ain't doing it for us. This must be the finger of God. This this is a different God than the ones we worship. I I don't know what's going on here. We can't make lies. Uh, And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not to them, as the Eternal had said. (coughs) So the Eternal said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning, let's go through this again over and over and over this this is not easy getting out of mitzvah getting out of sin and if they don't let them go this time the flies are coming you know how irritating one fly buzzing around your head can be and you want to get something and swat that rascal What if there's three or four or five and they're crawling on your food and crawling on the kitchen cabinet and and, uh, it's truly irritating. We don't like flies in our face. We're going to have swarms of flies. And I will sever in that day the land of uh, Goshen in which my people shall dwell and no swarms of flies shall be there. To the end that you may know that I am the eternal in the midst of the earth. So he says, Israel's probably had about all they can take. Uh, They've been suffering these plagues up to this point. Now, before they turn their back entirely on me, I'm going to not have the flies go into Goshen where they are. I'm going to make a separation. So at some point, God is going to start separating His people from this world and its culture and its problems and its sins so that we will know that He is God. So He said, I'll put a division between my people and your people and tomorrow shall this sign be. And then, verse 24, there was a grievous swarm of flies in the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses, And in all the land of Egypt, the land was corrupted by reason of the swarm of flies. So it wasn't one on your food. They were landing on their nose and on their eyes and on their lips. They were everywhere. Swarms of flies. The the sky was black with flies. And Moses called, or Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to God in the land. Get out of here. Uh, I can't handle the flies. And Moses said, It's not good for us to do so, <coughs> for we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God if we do it here in this land. No, we can't do it here because it's abominable to God. This place is abominable. Do we recognize how abominable this earth is before God? And that we need to get away from the midst of Babylon and get out of this culture that we have all around us? It's an abomination. And if we stay in it when God says get out of it, then that's a problem. We will do three days into the wilderness and sacrifice the Lord our God and He shall command us. Well, I guess if you're in New York and you drive a halfway decent number of hours. it take you about three days even to drive here. So this is three days in the wilderness from New York. I guess if you get on an airplane, it's not, but it's just, just interesting. Anyway, verse 28, Pharaoh said, I'll let you go that you may sacrifice the eternal your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far. You've got to stay nearby because I want some more bricks made when you get done uh, sacrificing to God. Come on back. Satan is always ready to have us come on back. Doesn't matter. His way is the way he wants us to go. And uh, by the way, when you do go, entreat for me. If you're going to go worship this God, uh, tell him I'm tired of lice and flies, and uh, maybe he'll have mercy on me. So he still doesn't accept God, but. But he recognizes there must be some power there. My magicians can't do it. So Moses said, Behold, I'll go out. I'll entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart uh, tomorrow. But let not Pharaoh deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice the eternals. He says, Quit lying to me. I'll make the flies go away, but you quit lying to me. You think you can ever get Satan to quit lying to you? <laughs> Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Eternal, and God removed the flies. And what happened with Pharaoh? Hey, no flies today. Hardened his heart again. He wouldn't let the people go. Hey man, this is going on. I, I didn't I was going to cover all this today, but it's already two thirty, isn't it? Uh well we're down to chapter nine, and we're still not out of sin. Uh, I I I'm going to give you an assignment. I want you to be out by tomorrow. Well, I guess God gave us seven days, didn't He? I doubt you'll make it by tomorrow, but at least let's be working on it. But take a lesson from, from what we're reading here. This, this is not an easy task. You can't just relax and expect to get out. We've got work to do. So let's stop for today.